0: One of the most fascinating pieces of technology that I am looking forward to it being mass-produced and owning myself is that of a self-driving car. When we lived in Georgia, we were anywhere from 13 to 20 hours away from nearest family. So we are used to incredibly long and droning on and on car rides. And on these trips, I was often The driver, I wish I could say that I was the driver because I enjoy driving. It's not, but Ellie doesn't enjoy driving and I might have a little bit of a control issue when it comes to how people drive. I'm working on it, but I've got this dream of what those drives are gonna look like if and when we finally own a self-driving car. Set a destination, Maybe read a book, take a nap, and trust that the car will take us to our destination safely if that control piece doesn't kick in. Now, I know that this dream really probably is a fantasy, but I think it's one I hold on to for a little bit longer. But because I'm excited about this new technology, I've enjoyed from time to time reading and learning about how it actually works. So here's a non-engineer's perspective or ideas about how this actually works, at least my understanding of it. These vehicles have a network of cameras and sensors that surround the vehicle and therefore provide a 360 degree portrait of what is going on around it. And there's this computer which has been programmed by people to interpret this portrait of information that shows up on these sensors cameras. So this computer recognizes a car to be a car, a dog, a dog, a person, a person, because at some point an engineer has programmed this computer to know that this approximate image means that it is a car, a dog, or a person. And once that computer has seen enough of this object or animal or person or whatever it is, it learns what to expect from the behavior of that thing, and so it's this complex web of teaching this computer what these objects are so that it can understand, predict, and identify it in the future when you are behind the wheel and turn on the self-driving feature. It takes hours upon hours of programming, but once programmed, this artificial intelligence part of these machines can take what they've learned and then go and apply it to new situations. But it took these people, these engineers, to give it the baseline programming for it to be able to make these intuitive leaps in the future. Now for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through Mark chapter 1, and we've seen how Mark starts off his gospel with this big announcement that God is doing something new and goes straight to Jesus being baptized and the heavens opening up and Jesus being declared to be God's son. And then last week we focused on the call of Jesus' disciples, but we read in Mark 1.15 the summary of Jesus' teachings as Mark presents it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, if you were a Jewish hearer of that message in Mark's time, you likely would have immediately been filled with images and allusions to stories of the Hebrew Bible when God acted decisively to save and deliver the Israelite people. But scholars who study the gospel of Mark have determined and concluded that this gospel in particular was written with non-Jewish Christians in mind. Most likely in the 60s or 70s CE, when persecution of Christians was on the rise from both Jews and Romans alike. So for these non-Jewish Christians, a natural question would have been, what is this kingdom of God? And what does it mean for the kingdom of God to draw near? And so Mark spends time answering this question in the form of many different stories and teachings to provide these early followers with a baseline information, a baseline programming, if you will, that they need in order to go out and apply the knowledge to new situations so they might be able to identify and predict where the kingdom of God might show up in the future. And the first one of these stories comes in our scripture reading today. So Jesus and his newly called disciples traveled to Capernaum, a town of about 1,500 people along the Sea of Galilee, the northern edge of Judah. Jesus, being a devout Jew, goes to church on the Sabbath to worship in a local synagogue where he taught. And everyone was absolutely amazed because his teaching demonstrated an authority that they had never heard before. While the other teachers and scribes that they encountered were always referencing other teachers and and giving authoritative voices space in their sermons, quoting them and repeating their interpretations of the scriptures, Jesus doesn't appeal to any of them, but rather speaks of his own authority and identifies a compassion that they might not have been used to. And they were mesmerized and captivated by his message. But there in the midst of the crowd in the synagogue was a man who Mark tells us had an unclean spirit. And he yells at Jesus, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now let's stop here for a second, because honestly, I have so many questions. Like, what was this man's name? What was his history? What was his story? Who did he love, and who loved him in return? What did he like to do? How long had he had this unclean spirit? Did this unclean spirit invade his life due to some sort of trauma or illness? Did people know that he had this spirit before this encounter with Christ? Or was he able to hide it? And if it is true that he was able to hide it, how in the world did he do that? If people knew... Was he welcomed into that space with love and care? Or was he sitting by himself and everyone avoided him? The spirit inside this man knew who Jesus was. Why didn't it stay hidden? Why did it confront Jesus? And it would be completely reasonable for us to ask ourselves, what in the world do we make of these exorcism stories in general? I could go on. And maybe you have your own list of questions. But two thoughts i'd like to make the first is this even though we don't know much about this man and mark really doesn't set out to give us any information about him we can never forget that it's a real person that jesus encounters he's got a real name a real family a real home real hopes and dreams and fears and he walked out of that synagogue that day a transformed person because of jesus In these passing healing narratives, which come and go, it can be easy to forget all that Jesus is handing back to these people as he heals and casts out these spirits. The second is this in the cultural atmosphere of Mark's day, a belief in demons or spiritually evil activity was a normal part of the belief system and experience. Now, we could, and many have attempted to explain medically or scientifically. What these ailments actually were and what we might diagnose them as today and while that might be a worthy endeavor it really misses the point of what New Testament authors are attempting to share in these stories and these stories are really about this simple truth when the kingdom of God breaks into our world the powers of evil and darkness are broken and called out by Christ I'll say that again these stories are really about the simple truth that when the kingdom of God breaks into our world, the powers of evil and darkness are broken and called out by Christ. And ultimately, Mark is trying to paint a picture for us of what it looks like when the kingdom of God, the reign of God, comes near so that we might be able to work towards that image in our everyday lives as we seek to follow Jesus. And that picture is as meaningful for us today as it was back when Mark was piecing together his gospel. We don't have to look far to be able to recognize the reality that the powers of evil and darkness are still alive and active today. For some of us, it's as simple as looking in the mirror and being aware of our inner lives and the unhealthy patterns and thoughts that attempt to trap us. Thoughts that we try our best to hide from those around us because we wonder what they might think of us if they knew Thoughts and feelings that lie to us, telling us that we are unworthy or might never amount to anything. Or addictions that constantly pull us, trying to drag us deeper and deeper into dependency. And if that is you, know that you are not alone. One of my boys' favorite bands to listen to is the band Imagine Dragons. It helps that I rather enjoy their music, too. You don't always get that with kids. One of their most popular songs is entitled Demons. And I know that's kind of weird for a pastor to be listening to a song called Demons and then mentioning it from the pulpit. And when I looked on Spotify this week, it was actually the number one most popular song of theirs on the popular songs list, and it had been played over two million times. But in this song itself, there's allusions to greed, the fear of letting people Down of attempting to hide the truths of what they were struggling on their inner selves, and the anxiety around wondering that if someone actually gets close enough to know the real me, would they see how dark it is inside? In fact, in the chorus, it repeats over and over again. If they actually can look inside me, they'd find that that is exactly where my demons hide. And I can't help but think that this song is so popular, not just because it's catchy, But because it speaks to the realities that so many of us feel. And it's the reality that the gospel of Christ speaks directly into. For when the kingdom of God is present and active, the powers of darkness and evil are broken. Or maybe you don't wrestle with any of that personally or being trapped in unhealthy patterns of behaviors or thoughts. But you know someone who does. Scripture challenges us here to consider how we as the hands and feet of Christ here and now might be the voice of Christ speaking truth and calling our friends, our neighbors, our family out of that darkness and into the healing power of Christ. For that same kingdom that was alive and active when Jesus preached, when he preached that it was drawing near in his presence and his ministry, that same kingdom is alive and active through the spirit here and now. How can you be a part of that calling? And when we do take that step in faith to speak up, or enter into the suffering of another, or getting close enough to know what their demons are, we are indeed participating with God in bringing the kingdom here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And if we zoom out from the personal and the interpersonal relationships To the world, to a global perspective, all we have to do is turn on the news. And we can see the presence of evil in our midst. We can think of the tens of thousands of people who have lost their lives, their livelihoods, family members, homes, in wars in the Ukraine and Middle East. We can hear story after story of the nearly 50 million people who are trapped in some form of modern-day slavery to realize that the powers of evil and darkness are alive and active today. We can encounter story after story of people lying and cheating one another in order to gain a profit, or people grasping at power and influence to better their own positions, or story after story of broken people searching for something to help ease the pain they experience who become trapped in cycles of addiction and all the darkness that that brings. And we could go on and on, and it pushes us to ask a good question. God, why is all this happening? And we can wonder and ponder to ourselves when and how things might ever get better. I like to think Mark was wrestling with some of those same questions. And in response, he tells a story about a man trapped by evil showing up at a synagogue one day. And in the presence and power of Jesus, that evil was overcome and that man was set free. And in this story, we see the glimmer of the hope of another world. When God's kingdom of love and justice and beauty and peace breaks through the veil between heaven and earth, producing experiences like this, of a man's healing and darkness being overcome by the presence and power of Christ. And as we read this story, God gives us an invitation An invitation to be those people who bear witness to God's kingdom breaking through. Where reconciliation takes place in the midst of conflict. Where freedom arrives in the face of slavery. Where people act in love and service to those, maybe even those they don't even know. Now people trapped in inner conflict and turmoil experience the healing and wholeness of Christ. And we're not just invited to bear witness to it. But time and again, we're invited to be active participants in what God is doing here and now. To bring the justice, the beauty, and the goodness of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do, we might just be amazed as what we find that God is up to in our world. And then maybe, just maybe, we might see the fame of Christ spreading once again through the radical acts of love and service of God's people. At least that is the dream. And if we as God's people will step out in faith, then maybe, just maybe, it will be more than a fantasy.